Back here on the Rec Yard Women's Prison Podcast, we are talking about disabilities in prison tonight. My name's Marcy Marie. I'm Tunchi. <laughs> Tunchi, who just hopped on here literally 30 seconds ago, y'all. My co host <laughs> is a busy lady. <laughs> You're still getting it together over there, Jen. Still trying. And I feel like we're are we on we're at wreck at night because it's dark in here. It is dark. It's, it's dark over here because all the lights are off in my room. I don't want you guys to see the messiness that's going on behind me. Well, and our background is black. It's like Oh, how did that happen? Hey, I'm not the, I don't have the controls. I don't have reins of the controls. Wait, just a minute. That background. Look, there we are. There we are. Where's our record? Thank goodness. (laughs) Okay. I, I am happy to say that we have a guest and you know her. Right. Stop fixing your hair. That's past. (laughs) Just go with whatever it looks like now. That's what it is. And and before we talk about our guest, I also need to mention that I asked you, hey, can we hop on here like at 15 till to make sure everything's together? And you said, hey, I, I'm in a meeting. I can't until five minutes till. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it was 30 seconds till. Yes. But I do notice you have a fresh cup of coffee. Honey, this and is so the same like cup of coffee that I had 30 minutes ago. I've just been I question that. I question that. I feel like you used that four and a half minutes to go make a cup of coffee. (laughs) If I needed to, I really would have. I would have. But it is a cold, old cup. It's my comfort. It's. Could y'all take coffee um, on the rec yard on the unit where you were at? Absolutely not. You know, Mountain View. Mountain View for all of its air conditioning and campus-like it was petty as fuck. I mean, petty, pet, like the petty stuff that you've experienced at Lane Murray. I want you to elevate that on steroids. And that was petty at Mountain View. Uh, but we did. Hey, can I just tell this real quick? I don't want yeah, to go for it. waiting, but yeah. So, <laughs> and I hope the education officers that worked in that building with me for eight years hear this story. Uh, and the librarian who I also worked with for eight years. So me and my coworker um, on Thursdays was our long day that we had to stay there the whole day. Right. Usually we went in by noon. Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So we had to wait for one of the GED classes. So we would bring coffee and uh, (laughs) uh, my boss had caught a rapper one time and I really, I held the ground and she was like, I don't know if you're telling me the truth or not. Uh, but it was ours. <laughs> but one time we made, so we would make a bottle in our little water bottle, right? We'd have our coffee we brought in, shake it up while they were doing count and we'd down it. Well, something happened. We couldn't do it. So the class came in early. So we had to take our very wobbly water bottle and hide it on the top shelf behind the books in the corner. And so I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Everybody was around. I was like, get them away from that. Get the students away from that. Uh, back shelf and my coworker was like, girl, it's obvious that whatever crimes you committed were just absolute acts of passion because you are not a criminal. You, you gotta be cool here. I, I, I dead giveaway, dead giveaway that something was wrong. Um, cause I just knew that that coffee was going to dump out onto somebody's head and we were going to get in trouble, but it didn't happen. Um, but to the education folks, yes. We were drinking coffee in the library every Thursday afternoon. Illegally. Thursday. Yes. And, and Blatantly you, breaking the rules. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> there were a lot of other things that happened in that library, Marcy, that the coffee was probably the <laughs> the easiest thing to, to admit to. <laughs> so, <laughs> couple things. First of all, had you and I known each other in prison... I, I don't think we would have been friends, Tunchi, because you were you're a little too scary to hang with me. I feel like I think you cared a lot more about not getting in trouble than I did. And I did too much that I can't have somebody that's 
fidgety and <laughs> uncertain when there's a chance of getting caught around me. But you're right. People are like, Jennifer is scary. She is scary. She's not going to take nothing. She's not going to pack nothing. I'll pay you to pack it. I'll pay you to bring it in. I, I mean, I did everything too, but I'm just not going to put myself in jeopardy. Um, I'll pay for it. But people did like me around because the officers were like, oh, it's just tune. It's just tune over there with them. They're not, not they, it never, ever, ever occurred to them that I would be looking out for anybody or, or taking anything or, so it could have worked in your favor. It this is true. This is true. Can our guest is waiting, and Let's and do we it. do have a topic. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Dis disabilities in prison, and you guys gave us this topic last week. We needed some help, and at the end of this episode, I think we'll ask you the same thing. So you guys be thinking about what you want to hear about next week. We're open for suggestions because. We're a fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants kind of gals. <laughs> Literally, Tunchi hopped on 30 seconds before the show started, which is why she keeps messing with her hair. So <laughs> can you, you know Leslie. So can you give her a proper introduction? Like, how Honey, do you I, know her? I mean... Do you know her? I feel like I do. Honey, so many people reach out to me, and I'm like, I know you from somewhere in 20 years. I do. Okay. So, so you did time I with don't. her at some point. I'm you did time sure with her. I'm pretty sure that I did. Well, let's get her on here and, and we'll her. see. She may be like, bitch, I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Leslie. Hey. Hey. Hi, Leslie. Um, I do not know. Jennifer. Um, I, social media. I did time at, they changed the name of it, Lockhart. Uh, oh, I got maybe. out in 2019-ish. So, um, no, and the whole reason I brought this topic up was um, it's actually my, so my father is deaf and he's an advocate for deaf incarcerated men. And we just filmed a documentary that just premiered at South by Southwest and it kind of highlights um, my incarceration and how that led into his journey of working with deaf inmates which was basically, I started going to jail and um, the jail, that the first, <laughs> my first tour was in Louisiana and they got those like tiny little windows, you know, and you got to pick up the phone and um, an officer would walk past. Of course, my dad and I are signing to each other and this officer, I hated this officer and she'd walk by and she'd be like, I told you to pick up that phone. What, what, are you, so, what are you trying to record? The sound of my fingers? Wait. Right. You're you're at a visit. So I, I'm going to paint the picture for anybody that hasn't seen the inside of a prison visitation room, exactly what that looks like. And if you guys have seen on TV, the type of visit she's describing, there's a glass window in between the incarcerated individual and the person visiting the prison. And, and you guys have probably seen on TV somewhere where they pick up the phone so that they can talk. And what she's saying is they are needing, because of a disability, to communicate via sign language. Holding a phone is going to greatly prevent that, right? Go well, ahead, was, Leslie. Well, and it's like, you know, they want you to pick up that phone because they want to they listen into what you're saying, right? Well, what are you, you going to listen to? And from that point on, every week at visitation, the warden, the assistant warden, and the lieutenant would supervise my visits. Not near one of y'all know sign language. I don't really know what you think you're doing here, but okay, cool. Um, and so that's what really kind of sparked the, the idea in my dad's head because they had gotten a, they had arrested a deaf woman. And so, of course, the officers came to me and were like, you know, sign language, like whatever, da, da, da. Okay, you know, anyways. And so it that's when it got in my dad's head. Like, you know, if it's this difficult for me to be on this side visiting, what is it like being on that side? And so my dad started working with um, mostly male lifers at Louisiana state penitentiary, Angola. Um, he was originally teaching sign language in a men and women's prison. Uh, just kind of as, you know, programming um, course COVID and all kinds of things have shut all that down. And then he got, he started getting into, um, the Texas prison system and working with uh, male inmates at Estelle. Um, and then of course I started getting arrested in Texas, 
Williamson County and, and yeah, Williamson County. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, Williamson County, I think, was probably the most accommodating jail I've been in as far as me having deaf parents. Mm-hmm. And it kind of came like on a whim. I was talking to an officer and she basically was like, oh, I don't ever see you on the phone. And I'm like, oh, my parents are deaf. I can't pick up the phone and call them. And she was like, oh, we have a video phone downstairs for deaf inmates. Come on, I'll take you. And they, they'd leave me there for hours. Be like, call your family, do whatever. I'd have like full-on visits with my kids, my parents, you know, because they were out of state. It was great. Um, but then they started, hey, we got this deaf inmate. Hey, we've got somebody deaf in booking. Hey, can you come? Can mm-hmm. you come do this? Can you come do that? Um, and I am, I'm a sign language interpreter. And so code of ethics technically prevents me from doing anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I made I made a very, very strong exception with them, which was, you know, anything on the jail side, fine. Like if they, you know, need a new uniform or they need this or need, they need that, they need medical, cool, I'll interpret that. And like anything that's court related, you're going to have to pay for an interpreter. That's not, I'm not right. doing it. Um, just because like some access is better than no access, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, now, once I went to TDCJ, I don't, I don't think I was actually incarcerated with anybody um, that had hearing, hearing loss or any other type of discipline. I mean, unless I was at like, you know, UTMB in Galveston, which that's a whole nother field of dreams there. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> from, from the county, you did have video phone access and you guys that are joining in, y'all are asking some great questions and I'm, I'm going to, hit back of those. You have three ladies that did time in Texas right here to answer them. I promise. Elaine, I see you, girl. That's a great question. Um, so then you, you're getting to see your parents, visit with your parents, your family. You get to Lockhart. Do they still have that same kind of accommodation? No. Uh, the only time I talked to my family was either through letters or visitation. Um, which visitation is real fun, of course, when you're deaf because these officers are yelling at you thinking that you know, luckily my, my father, I think just with his experience in the criminal justice system, like he's totally like, whatever, you're going to get over it. And I don't, you know, I'll play, he, he will play his poor deaf man routine all day long to get out of trouble. <laughs> like, I can't tell you my, like my dad does trainings with like the state police in Louisiana on how to properly pull over deaf people. But when he gets pulled over, it's, and everybody in the car better act like they're deaf. So he gets off the ticket, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> every single time. Um, but it, it's been super interesting. Cause like I said, we did this documentary and we, um, we premiered in Montana and then we just premiered at South by Southwest. And a lot of the um, feedback we were getting from people were, I've never thought about deaf people in prison. So Jennifer Tunchi. <laughs> The Tunch. Yeah. So you were on you were on a fairly small unit in in Texas this last time, but you've been all around, right? So can yeah. you just tell me your experience like with the video phones? Because when I as I was finishing my sentence, I want to say around 2019 or 20, they started adding video kiosks at Lane Murray. And I I think that there were like three on the unit, but I was actually housed on a dorm where deaf women were incarcerated. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, I was in, I was on a unit where they were sent and I was in a dorm. So I had lots of, um, as, as far as deaf inmates, I had lots of experience with them. Mm -hmm. One of my bunkies for the last two years of my incarceration was hearing impaired. Um, and so those video visits were everything when they came out, it, it changed that. So did you see those Jennifer? Uh, and no. were you incarcerated with hearing impaired ladies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, especially in County, right. But uh, women with disabilities uh, typically were sent to Lane Murray, which is, you know, really confusing because uh, it is a horrible unit with no air conditioning. I mean, it's a little different now because they built that, um, that area that's air conditioned uh, for ladies that, that absolutely um, need, need it. But at Mountain View, if you were disabled, uh, you got shipped off because, because the layout of the unit, even though it was very campus lot, the, um, 
the pavement was extremely broken. There was a lot of stairs. There weren't ramps. It was just not accessible, period. Uh, so you ended up getting shipped off to to Lane Murray. But I mean, the phones, uh, no. I, I guess they felt like, well, we don't house anybody here with disabilities, so we don't need to put in um, the video phone system. And Crane, no, never. The years that I was at Crane, you just you just screwed if you have any type of disability. Doesn't matter what it is. And I think a lot of the issues, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just thinking that I definitely, um, and I'm anxious to to hear y'all's perspective as well, but um, I definitely watched, so here's the deal. In, at Lane Murray, we're in Texas where the hearing impaired ladies are housed. Um, there, I think there are three dorms that are for hearing impaired inmates. And what that, each dorm has a light system and so it has like a, a stoplight-ish looking thing hanging from the ceiling. And then it has the codes of what, what those lights are supposed to make. So if, you, if they have the blue and the purple one on, maybe that means chapel turnout. If it has the red one on, then that would mean maybe there's an emergency. Yellow might mean rack up for count. Um, and so <laughs> the problem was... They had this light system, and then in the picket, it had the the picket officer was supposed to control that light system. But for years, those ladies had not a clue what those lights meant. The code was not made available <laughs> to us, so they they are like, and if they came on, they didn't have a clue. Um, something happened with. Huntsville came through and they were out. Lane Murray was trying to scramble around and make things right on that level. And so they actually painted the last, maybe the last three years I was there, they painted like a code on the wall. And then we were all like, wow, that's what that means. Oh, that's what that means. Then the problem was the officers weren't using it. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it's just all that smoke and mirrors game that we all know TDCJ to do. Um, that, that, yeah, just makes it appear like when Huntsville comes through or when the big dogs come through, it looks like we're doing what we're supposed to. Well, Leslie, did you, do have you been at an ID unit or were you just at Lockhart? No, I, I went from Woodman to San Saba and then San Saba straight to Lockhart. Okay. So. Well, I mean, you probably could see at least some of the difference between TDCJ operated units and oh, that, I did I did plenty of time in transit and yeah. back and forth between <laughs> Crane and you know being yeah. shipped all over the place for medical and whatnot. Yeah, no, big yeah. difference, absolutely. Yeah, right. And 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 the problem with you know for profit prisons obviously is that they're for profit, uh, but in in terms of the women's units in Texas. Baby, if somebody can get to Lockhart, <laughs> they're going to sure damn do it. Um, and I, I think that would go uh, with women with disabilities as well, just because programming is offered. There's more accommodations. Um, yeah, to, I can't even, I can't even. Marcy it's, was, oh, go ahead, Leslie, I'm sorry. Well, it's funny because you know, people talk about for-profit prisons and I'm always like, I get it. And I'm like, but Lockhart was, Lockhart was cupcake camp like it was Cadillac you know we didn't we didn't want for nothing didn't need for nothing and I could definitely see um where there would be more accommodations for people with disabilities you know especially going in transit from different units you know even being at UTMB like they would do women that were there for medical appointments dirty yeah like I there was a woman that was there I was in the waiting room at UTMB one time and I mean she clearly must have had I, I don't know if it was you know some kind of degenerating, just, you know, something that got worse over time, but literally they just left her in a bed in the room, unable to feed herself, unable to go to the restroom by herself. And the officers are like, we'll see you later. You know? And it's like, how, like, where do y'all feel like this is okay? Like, right. I, don't, I don't understand I, where you think this is okay. I want to say for sure that um, there is a difference between state ran prisons and a, a for-profit prison, but all prisons, 
all prisons are about money. Mm-hmm. So don't don't mistake that, oh, it's a state ran, so they don't care about that. They all care about profit. The prison industrial complex as a whole. I wanted to, I want to make sure we're getting to these questions because y'all are coming with them and I appreciate you so much. Um, so with our combined experience, <laughs> Elaine asks, is depression or other mental illnesses recognized as a disability? Because obviously we all know that that is a disability. It does the prison system, does the Texas prison system identify that? No. I, I think no, not at all. Go ahead, Jennifer. Tell <laughs> no. them. <didn't> <laughs> no. And, and, and mental health uh, concerns and issues, uh, you know, I work at a, a disabilities organization um, that we work on advocacy and state policy, and it, it is recognized as um, a type of disability. Uh, but in the in the in in the correction system, no, uh, they separate they separate that out, um, and they don't. And I feel like it's because they don't want to be held to the standards through federal law. Maybe, um, yeah, but no, absolutely, they don't recognize that. It's totally separate, and they're wrong for that. For certain. <laughs> oh, for no, certain. Nor, nor do they treat, I mean, it's such a punitive system, right? If you ask for help, you're punished almost, you know, it's you're, you're put into situations that, you know, don't necessarily, you're just asking for help. And the next thing you know, you're stripped naked and thrown in, you know, thrown into a hole somewhere. And, or I, I, I remember being an intake at Woodman and I, and this was so illegal. And I wish at the time I would have known how to kind of grieve this, but um, I was still an intake, still in process. I was in the dog pound and this officer came to me and she was like, Hey, pack your stuff. Come with me. It's like nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, eh, okay. And they take me to this one man cell or two man cell. I'm sorry. That's got a chair outside of it. And they tell me, Sometimes when an inmate feels like they're going to hurt themselves, we put them in a cell with another inmate so they can keep an eye on them. What? And they put me in this cell with this woman that was, I'm talking about out of there, out of there. Like I was scared to go to sleep. And they were like, yeah, you'll be out of here the next, you'll be out of here tomorrow. It's fine. So the next day I go to chow and I go to the sergeant and I'm like, they told me that like, I was supposed to be out of there. Like this isn't sergeant's like, oh, no, it's a holiday. <laughs> Mental health isn't even here. We'll see maybe tomorrow. Took me three days to get out of this cell with this woman. Mm-hmm. And like oh. nothing against her. She was clearly having a mental breakdown, but mm-hmm. why would you put, you don't know me. What if I was in there egging it on? What if I was right. in there going, you know, huh, hey, do this. It'll take care of it. You don't know what was going to happen. No officer was watching us. It was just me and her. Well, and, and we, we know that for whatever reason that happened, somebody thought that you would could either care for her or the exact opposite. She would hurt you or y'all would hurt each other and whatever. They, they do that for pleasure. They do that mm-hmm. strategically. Um, yeah. You, you know, and, it's, it, and when we describe to people, and I think that's what's so important um, that we talk about what happened to us specifically as women. Cause I, I mean, Marcy always like to point out it, it's the same as the men, but it's different, right? Like we have very nuanced, um, really crazy stuff happened to us uh, as women, just in general in society, but especially in prison and watching women with mental health struggles and disabilities be treated like I tell people, I say, you want to talk about a population that is marginalized and treated like garbage. It is female inmates with disabilities and men. Like we start coring it down. Um, and then I would say even worse than that is uh, women of color uh, with a disability or, or mental illness treated like pure, less than human trash in that system. Um Marcy, I wanted to talk about Lane Murray in terms of just how the women with disabilities were treated, because that, that's supposed to be the ADA compliant unit. So we've got women who um, are, uh, you know, hearing impaired or, or blind or mobily impaired. They're, they're all there. And I remember right. a child watching a woman struggle to push her wheelchair in the rain for almost an hour, and we were not allowed to push her or help her to her destination. And that's exactly, you described that scenario perfectly because that's how it went from the beginning 
of my incarceration to the end of my incarceration. I spent a decade on that unit. There was a plethora of disabled, incarcerated people on that unit. We weren't allowed to hold the door for someone with a walker. We weren't allowed to hold the door for a wheelchair. We weren't allowed to maybe offer a helping hand to help someone get out of their chair if they had a disability that made that hard. Um, it was punishable by disciplinary action. You could get a case for it. And it's the same same scenario, just like you said. So many times I remember um, seeing some poor, and I hate to say it, I felt bad for them, definite pity, because it would be a thousand degrees outside and they're trying to get to their dorm. It's already one in particular lady, an elderly lady in a wheelchair that had a hard time getting around anyway, had no business being outside in that heat. And I go to help her and the officer that's sitting at line control gets on the speaker, calls me by name because I've been there long enough. Don't you touch that wheelchair. You know, and at that point, you have to decide, are you going to take a disciplinary case or are you going to do what you know is right as a human being? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it teaches you after a while, right? It teaches you to be apathetic because that's the only way to survive. When you're watching elderly women, disabled women, women with mental health crisis, and you, you just, you're watching it and not able to intervene. You, something inside it for me, y'all, I mean, I, I had to use that as a coping skill growing up and then prison just reinforced it. Shut that down, shut it off because it is so crushing to watch that play out every day. That's right. It does train us to close off our empathy and close off our, humanity. And when you come home, then from that training, that right. state training, then you have to figure out how to go back to being a living, feeling person, you know, and, and the first time after I got out the first time, and that was a really hard adjustment. I remember something happened at my apartment complex when I was living with my girlfriend in Houston and she was running down the stairs to open the door to intervene. And I grabbed her. I said, don't you open that door. I'm, we're going to sit down and finish dinner at least. Mm -mm. And she, and she didn't know me before I'd went to prison, but she, she, I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, prison changed you because she knew the real me. She had seen the sensitive, loving, empathetic person. And to have this, this person that she knows to be, um, so loving and, and compassionate, just absolutely blank. She knew what it was. And I, I've, I've never forgot that because it, it does teach you to self-preserve. Um, and if that means shutting yourself off from other people's suffering, because, you know, watching another human being suffer, uh, you know, and not being able to do anything about it is absolutely soul crushing, especially the most vulnerable among us. So Rhonda says they have to get up at 4 a.m. to get in the pill line and icy mornings. Y'all remember that, right? Was it Lockhart, um, Leslie, was Lockhart pill line outside? No, Lockhart, nothing's outside. Everything's inside. So that was nice. But then when I would be on like on a chain going somewhere and I'd had a I got spoiled and I'd be like oh because like at Lockhart they come and get your laundry from your cell and they take it and wash it and bring it back to your cell in the back and mm -hmm. tie it to your door so when I would like be on transport somewhere else and I actually had to like go to laundry I'd be like mm. <laughs> right well in and, and a, a place as large as is uh Lane Murray and well in Mountain Views space-wise is pretty large so you're walking from one end of the unit to the other um, and especially as an elderly person in a wheelchair or disabled, I mean, that's a long journey for them to go to the pill line and then stand there and it's 130 degrees outside. 
Yes, or raining, or icy, mm-hmm. or cold. Um, all of those things. It's it's unbelievable how Lane Murray handles pill line, um, and that was an excellent point for them to have to try to stand out there. Um, Desiree says Mountain View's pill line is outside. Yeah, well, and even the, will- the 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 pill lines in at Crane. I mean, it's still a journey to walk to the education building um, to go to medical. Uh, You know, and when we say these things, and I'm just preemptively striking (laughs) before somebody that sees this is going to be like, oh, you women complain about these tiny. These are not tiny things. These are not small things um, for people that don't have mobility and don't have uh, the ability um, to make this journey from one end of the unit to the next, right? And like Marcy and, and Leslie said, in, in, in other conditions that if you were in the world, you wouldn't have to, do you want your grandmother who can't walk or is who, who can't hear? Do you want her to take 45 minutes to go two feet uh, from the dorm door to the sidewalk and have people screaming uh, at her because she's moving too damn slow? I remember that too. You know, hey, old lady, get your old ass down the sidewalk. And here she is barely moving. It's, yeah. So just preemptively, if anybody has something something to say. With zero assistance, it's not like they can head down there and um, someone else that has to go to pill line that maybe doesn't suffer from a disability can help with zero assistance. I will say this. There were some correctional officers at Lane Murray that would allow you to treat, like ask ahead of time, hey, can I help bunk so-and-so get her cubicle cleaned up? And they would say, yeah, when I have time to watch you, you know, and so I would do that sometimes that I would ask. And then later when the officer's like, okay, I have, I have 10 minutes or whatever, and you could go in there because obviously there are people that aren't capable of getting the stuff from underneath their bed and their bunk and all the gunk. You guys can imagine living in a warehouse. If y'all have never been in prison, it's like the amount of dust and dirt is like what you would find at a Walmart. It's that many people in a closed in environment. Um, So shout out to those correctional officers because honestly they were going against policy (laughs) to allow us to do that, to show a little bit of humanity. Somebody had brought up glasses. Um, and that's definitely, we we had ladies that had visual problems also um, on the unit from partial um, sight loss to completely blind. Um, that was just the same scenario I've seen those ladies get yelled at horribly for sitting in the wrong spot, going the wrong way. Um, And there's quite a difference from an officer saying, hey, this way to, you know, you go there every damn day, you know. So, Leslie, how did the how has the public received y'all's documentary? I'm I'm really curious to to hear the response that y'all have had. It's 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 very very well received. Um, We uh, won our competition at South by Southwest. Um, We won the the category we were in, and we also won the audience award. and I, I think I think the documentary just shines light on a lot of different things. You know, me reconnecting with my children after my incarceration and my drug addiction, and maybe you know my dad. And it, it's got all these different facets in it. Um, and I just I think that my whole goal in doing this film. So when I first got out of prison, I graduated from Truth Be Told mm-hmm. while I was in prison, right? Um, which I just absolutely cannot say more about that program um and about a month after i got out um the director at the time messaged me and she was like hey i've got this lady that's like looking for some people that she kind of wants to interview about um about their re-entry and what it looks like for women after prison you know and and so organically came out the story of my dad and the work he's been doing with these deaf inmates right and and so it it turned into this whole thing and in in the beginning 
you know, my goal was to be as honest as I possibly could, because honesty was not my strongest suit when I was on that stuff. Um, and I, f I feel like the film is causing conversations that need to be had, but that people don't know need to happen, right? Again, a lot of the feedback we got were, I've never thought about people, you know, deaf people in prison. I've never thought about, you know, what that must be like, you know. Um, when we did our world premiere in Montana, I was in the bathroom after it premiered and I was watching this lady come and she's just crying. And she's like, all these poor deaf people in prison. I'm like, it's kind of the point, you know, it's, it's just, you know, people don't think about these things. And there's actually a scene in the film, um, they were able to go onto the Estelle unit and film my dad with some deaf guys. And my dad goes into these units under the guise of being a chaplain, right? Because right. nobody's going to let an advocate in. Right. <laughs> so my dad gets his hour and a half and he walks in with his little Bible studies and they talk about faith for about 30 minutes. And then my dad goes, okay, what's going on? Who needs help with what? What's happening here? So he got in that once though, and they have never let him back in. <laughs> right. <laughs> they have never let, TDCJ has been the worst in letting him back in. And Angola, he was in Angola, um, for like five years, but of course COVID, you know, there's all these things that are going on, but my dad has helped men that, you know, got out and needed halfway houses and needed places to stay and taking them to parole. My dad does all of this on a volunteer basis. There's nobody funding this. There's nobody helping him out. Like it's just him. Um, so I was super excited that that light got kind of, you know, there, there's, there's just so many aspects of, of prison and these stigmas, that, you know, there's just so many things that people don't know about. Right. And we can't do better if we don't know better. Um, and that was, kind of, you know, I, I, did, I wasn't really necessarily impacted by people with disabilities in prison. I don't know if it would have made as much as, of an impact on me just because that's been my whole life. That's with my parents. That's where I grew up, you know. Um, at Lockhart, I was, there was a woman in my dorm who was almost completely blind, almost completely blind. She'd been there for about 10 years. And like, we had rigged a system. Like when we were lying in chow hall, if she was behind me, she would, you know, put her hand to the side and like grab the very bottom of the very hem of my shirt. And if I walked, she would step up behind me or I would stand behind her and I'd come on, keep moving. You know, they're, they're watching, whatever. Um, but to be on that side of it, I don't know. Like, I just can't imagine how difficult that would have been. Like prison, prison sucks. Prison's hard. Even if you have all of your faculties about you and you start having these other issues, I just, I couldn't even imagine. And I, I, I do feel like that's something that, you know, just a lot of people don't think about in general. I think there's kind of this, um, this, broad idea that people with disabilities don't go to prison, right? They don't do things that get them locked up. And unfortunately, like with a lot of the male inmates that my dad works with, it's wrongful incarceration. It's a lot of, um, um, most of these, most of these people are not getting interpreters or the things they need at their trials. And so they're taking these guilty sentences and not even knowing what they're being, you know, charged for. You know, I, I know a guy that's doing, um, a life sentence in prison because he brushed up against a lady's chest. Mm-hmm. And that was 40 years ago and he didn't have an interpreter. So he didn't, he just said, yeah, I did it. Right. Life in prison. So um, the name of the film is Breaking Silence. Right now it is only on the, um, the film festival circuit. We're about to do a um, community screening in Austin, but as soon as I can find out another way, I'll let y'all know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get people there. And I mean, you know, if there's a way that we can, you know, actually have an event and, and uh, yes. screen the film and have a panel discussion um, for we can I can absolutely use it for that for sure. Um, we did a panel actually with uh, Lauren Johnson um, at mm -hmm. South by Southwest. And we got to do, have a, a conversation just, you know, about about the same thing, things that you can't do better if you don't know better. It's my whole thing. So I love that you said how you were Start, you did this documentary for a purpose, and that was to spread awareness because people just don't know. And that's why we we have On the Rec Yard. That's why we meet here every Wednesday. That's why both of our social media platforms, um, you know, it's it's all about telling people what they don't know. And it's people get genuinely surprised um, at the way that Texas prisons and prisons in general treat humans that are housed there. Well, and, and I'm sure Leslie knows this, is that in terms of disabilities in the disability community, they get left out of almost every single conversation, everything, oh. right? Mm -hmm. Like whether it's Absolutely. building, uh, you know, a new building or it's a crosswalk or it's like, you know, for example, the scooters, which I have 
hurt myself on many times, but if people don't think, well, y'all just throw those things in the sidewalk. Um, and people that are, you know, visually impaired have really hurt themselves. Like the, the things that people don't think about just because that population, that community is just, Oh, well, I never thought of that. Well, <laughs> well, let's try to think of everybody, um, when we're talking about a system. Um, but certainly, in, in corrections, people don't realize that over 50% of the people harmed by the police are killed is they have some form of a disability, including mental health. Uh, so they are the population that, that, that suffers the most. Um, so if you don't know, then you can't do better. Now, and, and I want to bring up when COVID happened, so I forget the, which unit it was, but it's the unit with the uh, elderly guys uh, and a big population of disabled men in TDCJ. I think that's Estelle. Yeah, I think, that's I think it's Estelle. Uh, they they uh, did the lawsuit about the air conditioning. Well, they did a lawsuit about COVID and saying that, you know, they weren't doing enough for this, you know, particular vulnerable population in terms of sanitation and whatever. And, and I remember when Carrie Blakinger was posting tweets about the lawsuit and the answers uh, that TDCJ was providing. And, and I remember the warden saying something roughly to the effect that, you know, they were asking, do you think it's appropriate <laughs> that you had someone who was in a wheelchair without an arm and a leg cleaning the dorm? That he was like, well, he had a push broom and he was holding it with his, neck and you know pushing it while he was pushing his wheelchair and the 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 cold just yes i think that's appropriate i, I think that's cleaning standards you know they didn't get trustees to come in they were you know and this was appropriate to them um and i remember when she was tweeting about that i was like yeah of course they'd say it. like i just was like yeah they're gonna say that you know and then I saw people's comments and they were horrified. And it struck me, y'all, like I was horrified too, but I was so numb to it and so used to that kind of stuff that it genuinely like shocked me that people, I don't know, I was so shocked at my inability to fully process how callous and disrespectful and with such a disregard that officials had for those men there that um yeah it, it was really shocking and you know they eventually lost their lawsuit uh but um yeah that yes it's appropriate during a, a pandemic to have a, a gentleman just pushing a broom with his his neck around and not that people with disabilities aren't capable of functioning and high functioning um but that this would have been all they got uh, as a, a vulnerable population during COVID in prison was just shocking. Tunchi, I love how you said the people in the comments were horrified and rightfully so. That happens all of the time when we post any kind of information of what goes on in prison. Um, I will say a story that I'm so used to saying or so used to it being a part of normal um, and then I'll just tell it and then people will be just, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that to y'all. I can't. And I'm like, was it that bad? And then it kind of soaks in. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It was, it was worse than bad. It was horrifying for sure. I think and it comes back then from just so empathy. much. Yeah. Yes. And, and so much more than um, if you, are disabled in some way or don't have all of your faculties and you're having to suffer those kind of things without maybe the right tools to be able to handle the situation. Elaine just dropped a comment about dyslexia. And she says she read somewhere that over 90% of people in prison are dyslexic um, and were never diagnosed or provided resources. Have you guys heard that statistic? Well, I mean, we did have a bill that was heard uh, the day that we were hearing our parole bill uh, recently, and the bill was about doing a study on dyslexia in the in the criminal justice system and the high rate 
of uh, illiteracy in correctional settings. Um, and then, of course, you know, you get to TDCJ when they talked about how they educate everybody on their individual treatment plans and legislators are like, well, that's interesting that you just pass them out a piece of paper because we just heard testimony about how most of them don't read very well. <laughs> so, yes, Elaine, I, I have heard that. I have I, heard that. I didn't even know there were treatment plans. I, have, wow. I had no idea that there they had that that was a thing. I have been incarcerated multiple times on on drug offenses. All of my stuff stems from drug. Never was told there was never was made to go to any kind of treatment program. I none of that. I had no idea that that we actually got treatment plans. That was nothing right. I was made aware of. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so everybody is supposed to technically have an ITP, and that's what we were telling legislators, is that most people don't know they have one, and they get a piece of paper that's not explained to them. And people that do not read well are people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. Who explains any of this? If we're not getting explained, if, if none of us are getting our answers uh, to our questions, uh, those folks definitely are not. Um, yeah. This brings a whole new point up about um, the programming in prisons and how disabled um, incarcerated individuals are completely left out of programming. Um, I don't know if it's intentional. So there was actually um, some issues. I don't know about Texas, but again, Louisiana, where my dad's been doing a lot of his work, um, where um, men, deaf men were making parole, but part of their parole was having certain classes that they had to do, mm -hmm. but the prison wasn't providing interpreters. Right. And so they were unaware that they were supposed to go into these classes or they were going and whoever was running the class was basically saying that they weren't participating and therefore dragging out the whole system. And it's just, there's this whole lack of information, you know, during COVID, one of the the deaf guys my dad works with called him on a video phone and he's like, yeah, they're handing out masks, but I don't know what they're for. I don't even know what's going on. I, maybe it's the flu going around. And my dad's like, whoa, hold up. Right. No, <laughs> this is what's happening. Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, but yeah. The, and it was, so it was a big thing was my dad was teaching sign language to inmates in prison. And I mean, it's a catch 22. There was a lot of pushback on it because they didn't want the prison using inmates to interpret for other inmates, which is understandable, you know, for parole hearings. No, I don't want another inmate interpreting for me. Um, but it's one of those is some access better than no access, right? Do I at least want somebody that can help me out when I need to, you know, I need something or, you know, whatever. Um, so they ended up shutting that down altogether, um, which was kind of disappointing because one of the guys that was helping my dad teach this program um, actually used to be my boss when I was an interpreter in Louisiana and he was um, certified to proctor certification tests. And so he'd tell these inmates, if you get to this level of, you know, your interpreting skill, I'll give you the test. If you can pass it, I'll certify you. When you get out, I'll give you a job. So it was kind of, you know, and, and cause sign language interpreters make good money. Right. And so that's kind of, that was kind of a goal. You know, I get out of here, I can actually make decent money. I can make decent money cause we're independent contractors. There's not really background checks, you know, unless you're in the school system. Um, but all of that got shut down, but yeah, it became a huge issue as far as, you know, you can't, if you get program, you know, six month programming for drug rehab or whatever, and there's nobody there interpreting for you or, or you're visually impaired or you're intellectually impaired and you can't, you don't know what's going on. What, what's the point? Right. Or if you're in a wheelchair and the units that those programs are on are not wheelchair accessible, then then what are the answers answers for that? It's yeah, there's so many uh, faucets to this issue. I, I do have one story that I thought about um, during my incarceration. There was a lady that was an elderly lady that required a cane. She could not make a step up. And so it was one of the times that the Texas prisons in Gatesville didn't have water and they brought in the porta potties. So she goes up and her and I are in line to go to the porta potty together. We go out. She's ahead of me. When I come out, she's still trying to figure out how she's going to step up onto the trailer because the porta potties are on a trailer that's pulled right. by a tractor. And she, she's, in tears because they have threatened disciplinary cases if they use the toilets in the dorm. 
she clearly cannot get up this step. I'm I'm trying to physically help her at the same time looking for laws all around me so I don't get in trouble for touching another inmate. I mean, it, it was just a horrifying experience. And it ended with me and another inmate basically picking her up onto the trailer, which is wrong on so many levels. Um, so that that's just kind of to give a visual for those of you that haven't been in that situation or haven't been right, haven't had to see that firsthand. And then I just wanted to say about these hearing and poor impaired people that are in prison, guys, I'm just wondering, you can write things down. That's how I did with those ladies that lived in my dorm. It was easy enough for an officer to give a directive and them not to understand. And I would just write it and I'd hold it, <laughs> hold it. She said this and half the time it was bullshit, <laughs> but mm-hmm. at least they would know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and, and I, I want to touch base with what y'all said about programming because that's what, um, you know, some of the stuff that we've been working on within our advocacy groups and where I work is it's accessibility and um, being equitable, right? Like women with disabilities in TDCJ do not have the same access Uh, and men too, because I get letters from men too that say, Hey, I am at a medical unit and I want to go to college. And they're like, sorry, (laughs) no can do fella. You, you can't go to that unit because it's not accessible because you're in a wheelchair or you, um, you, you need some other um, accommodation. And it's like, you know, how do they get away with this kind of stuff? And, And TDCJ in the past has said, well, there's some type of programming offered everywhere. And it's like, that is not the same as accessible <laughs> and equitable and equal. Um, and it, it just, it's just, it's just an absolute nightmare. Um, it, it, it really is. And uh, again, I, I think I really am glad, Leslie, that you're here and that you brought this up as a topic uh, because it, it is my work, <laughs> um, first of all. Uh, and because I know, I, I, I see it in reports. I hear it in the stories. Marcy's experienced it, you know, even much more than I have in 20 years being at that unit, um, just seeing that the ladies and someone brought up um, in, I don't know where it's at. I think it was probably Desiree, you know, the women who were housed at Valley for the intellectual developmental disabilities uh, program. They used to call it M- MROP. They don't call it that anymore for good reason. Uh, but, you know, those ladies, they they meet that IQ threshold and they will send them to another unit. I don't care if it's a point or two over, um, and, you know, and they have a plan and, and a treatment plan and all this stuff. But half the time, nobody is explaining to them anything what's going on. Now, I do want to say this because I want to be fair. Wyndham has made some good strides. I went and looked at it myself, uh, me and another advocate. They are doing the most with what they have and they have great leadership, but they're not TDCJ, right? They, they are, they are not the actual correctional system. Desiree also is bringing up a good point about just what we had talked about illiteracy and that type of disability um, that you couldn't get a pass to the law library if you couldn't fill out an I-60 properly. And that, that would not just be for the law library. That could be for medical. That could be to update your visitation list or any of the other things to sign up for classes. Yeah. Uh, Marcy, there was someone else in the comments too that I want to touch on um, the air conditioning. They asked if there were some uh, any AC legislation happening. Do you want to you want to tell them? You're going to ask me for bill numbers, and you no, know I don't know them. 
So, um, yes, Stephanie's saying, are there bills um, that are trying to be passed for air conditioning units in Texas prisons? So those of you that might not know, 70% of Texas prisons are not air conditioned. Texas A&M did a study two years ago that showed temperatures in the summer ranging from 110 degrees to 149 degrees in the areas where inmates live. You guys can imagine how... um, that extreme temperature could cause mental and health problems among people that have to live in it constantly. It, um, so there are some bills. Jennifer, did you look at the bill numbers? Because you know I don't know. <laughs> I sure, never no, know the um, bill numbers. I have to look every time. Um, Representative got, Sherman. Yeah, go for I've it. Got over um, hundreds of uh, criminal justice bills. So we've got... Um, We've got bills by um, Representative Canales, uh, Representative um, Sherman. Uh, we also had our emergency planning bill that we just testified on, which would call for an advisory board uh, that would include um, people with lived experience to help plan, have better emergency planning, because we saw the disaster um, that was COVID and the winter storms and hurricanes. And then there is a Senate bill by Senator Menendez, there's lots of air conditioning bills. Um, so what we need from everyone involved, right, especially people in Texas, is when these bills are heard, when they go to the committee and then to the House and then hopefully on to the Senate, we need you guys to make public comments and write your legislators and say, I'm for this bill and this is why. It's not humane. It's dangerous. Um, or... In the meantime, you could write your legislator now, email them now, and tell them you want air conditioning in Texas prisons, right? That's how we make changes. Um, yeah, nothing's been heard yet. Not, not yet. Um, and also there's a bill by Dr. Um, Alma Allen, um, HB 1539, and this is going to be about program accessibility uh, for women. So that would be a good bill. If you would like to come make comments either online, uh, email her, come to come testify and just share, um, your, your thoughts about accessibility. And also there's a bill about medical transport for females, um, that we all just, we barely, and that's going to have to be a whole episode by itself. Uh, cause we all know, cause we're all shaking our head. You want to talk about something horrific? Go on that medical transport to Galveston for, as a woman. And Marcy, that, I don't know. I will let the audience pick what the next uh, topic is, but that's that's a good one on the heels of talking about this. Yeah, story. I'm going to say... Um... We definitely need to start thinking about what we're going to do next week. But we talked about prison pen pals last week and we we talked about those relationships. Do they work? Do they carry on into the free world? And my friend Chanel Jones was commenting, but it wasn't saying her name. She was saying, let me on the show because, guys, she has a huge story about her prison pen pal relationship from the prison to the free world. A baby was born in the mix. And it's, <laughs> I feel like it's worth a part two yes. with her because that's a, that's going to be a great story to hear. Um, so that we need to keep that in mind for some time. And then well, hey, the horror you- of the, the prison uh, and medical transport. Or of that, that's an idea. Um, and then you were Elaine, supposed to ask somebody to come on the show, remember? Today? Oh, no. yes. <laughs> For tonight's show, is that what you mean? No, no. In the future, you talk to some legislators that might be willing to come and. Oh, yeah. We have that going on too. Um, actual um, representative. Uh, Jarvis Johnson said that he would join us and he's the emergency planning. No, Mm-mm. he's the, what parole. bill is he? <laughs> These are parole bills. <laughs> you, you're the deep person. Poochie. I can't, I just, 
I just know how to talk about it passionately because I believe in it. But I can't ever remember the details, the fine details, right? So we have that also. And Representative Sherman said he would make some TikToks with me. So if he does that, we will play them on here for you guys yes. to see. Um, Elaine has a great idea about inviting men, formerly incarcerated men on the show to to compare conditions, um, or the difference in conditions or the difference in all of it, right? everything. Um, and we definitely know a couple um, male prison creators, content creators that did time in Texas. That's something to consider. What do you guys think? Y'all that are joining in, great. anybody have any other <laughs> ideas? Because we want to hear them. Well, Marcy, maybe you're just going to have to surprise us next week because you're the one that sets up the live now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I like the idea of getting the guys on the show if that works out. You know, I know XCON Fitness, um, Justice, those are some options. Desiree says she recommends inviting Carrie Matt Cook to talk about his experience on death row. That might, that sounds like a different episode. That sounds like we could almost talk about death row in Texas prisons and maybe get, we, we know women and men that have come off of death row. Yeah. I don't know. Goodness. Um, We're at our hour. (laughs) I could stay talking with y'all all night, honestly. It's been such a good night here on the rec yard. Leslie, we appreciate everything that you and your dad are doing for, um, to, ch- to make changes for the positive in the prison system, especially for people with disabilities. We think it's incredible and we appreciate you for coming on the show and visiting with us. Everybody that's watching and listening, thank y'all for hanging out and rocking it in the chat. We appreciate y'all so much. Any final thoughts, Tooch? Well, uh, Leslie, do you, do you, I just, I just want to say thank y'all for having me on. I love the work that y'all are doing. I've been watching it from afar and it's kind of cool to be part of it. So thank y'all so much. Yes. Girl, are you in our lioness group? I think I am. I am on the page. I had to make sure because when I see a a woman with great experience, who's not afraid to talk about, I'm like, "Mm -mm, we got you. I got you. (laughs) Yeah, no, this has been great, everybody. It has. We will be right here on the rec yard, same time, same place, next Wednesday nights. We hope to see you there. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out. And we'll see y'all next time.